Let's do it. We're back. It's been a while. Yes. All right. Welcome back to the Girl at the Game podcast, the sports podcast by women for everyone in partnership with CLNS Media. We are your hosts, Gabrielle Starr, founder of Girl at the Game, and Al Francisco of New England Sports Network. It's been a while, but we are back. We have so much to talk about. We are recording on the morning of Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Anxiety is high. I've had way too much coffee, but we're here. We're back. It feels good. Al, I miss you so much. I like just miss being in the same place as you. Yes. Sitting and talking for six hours about everything and nothing. Right. Sorry, we've been a little MIA on you guys. We have so much going on in full swing right now with both of us. But we had to get together to just recap Cam Newton's first two weeks of the Patriots season. Obviously, Celtics playoffs, which we're going to get into. We had a new iPhone update. So we had to get on to get into it. I'm excited. I'm so excited. I think tonight's the night Kemba Walker turns it around. I mean, he he has I feel like he has been getting the majority of the shit kind of especially um, on I, Twitter. People are just I certainly tearing would agree with that, especially prior to game 2. Like the thing with game 2 was yeah. that was Kemba's redemption game after not only yeah. game 1 of this series but He had a pretty bad Toronto stretch too. And I say bad in the sense of looking at the box score bad because I'm definitely in the camp. I know coach Brad Stevens is in this camp with me where we can look at a player like Kemba and maybe he's not as productive offensively, but he's just one of those intangible guys that is doing all the little things that contribute to winning basketball. Marcus Smart is your textbook example of this type of player. So it was such a shame that in game two, we had the Kemba redemption game wasted. Also, just the fact that like they blew a 17 point lead. It's not so much that you got beat. It's that you gift wrapped this game, handed it to the other team. And we're like, here, we don't even care. Like they threw away that game. And so that was Kemba's redemption game. A redemption game for an individual player is lost when the final score is not in your favor. And especially for Kemba, I mean, you don't get to the playoffs without Kemba. The impact that Kemba has had on this team, you look at the arguments that go around on Twitter the past year of like Kemba or Kyrie, people saying, including me and you, you saying, you know, Kyrie's a more, a better offensive player than Kemba. Maybe, but does this team get to the playoffs if it's still Kyrie and not Kemba, I don't think so. Not a chance. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And like, you know me, the resident Kyrie apologist here. (laughs) I think Kyrie Irving, watching his handle, I think he is one of the purest hoopers on the planet right now. It's just his game reminds me so much of Kobe's handle and like your Allen Iversons and you're just your guys that can just like dribble the shit out of the ball. It's like a magnet to their hands. And Kemba 
for lack of a better phrase, is a poor man's Kyrie Irving, I think. But what he brings in his leadership and, like, after every game, you log into these press conferences and if they win, Kemba is – doesn't matter how good of a game he had, he is totally deflecting credit to his teammates. And when they lose, even in a game like game two where he totally rises to the occasion and keeps it close for his team, because that's what he did in game two, is they were only in it because of Kemba. And even in game one, when he was playing really, really shitty, he rose to the occasion and hit some clutch shots down the stretch to force overtime. Yeah. But, like, if they lose, he's taking all the blame on himself. He always has the biggest smile on his face. He's just a good-ass locker room guy. And you're so right. They don't get there without him because the Celtics are fortunate to benefit from having four players, five win Gordon is healthy and some could even argue six with the way Marcus Smart has been playing the last oh, man. four to five guys who can just take over a game on any given night and um, especially now that Gordon's back I think that gave them some confidence you had that good game out of Kemba and game two to give Kemba some confidence and then their locker room blowout between Jalen oh, Brown and Marcus Smart like a lot of people saw that, and I think people that aren't Celtics fans got pretty worried to see the Malika Andrews report that things are being thrown inside of the Celtics locker room down in the bubble after that game two loss. But, I mean, I think true Celtics fans were like, yes, light a fire yeah. under their asses. Let's get it smart. I would rather have them fighting each other out of the passion of like, we need to be better. This is unacceptable. We know we're better than this because the thing is the Celtics are better than this. I would much rather have my team fighting each other in the locker room than sitting there dejected, given up, you know, just not having any fire. Like the fact that they're fighting shows that they want to fight back. They won game three. They fought back. They weren't just taking it. And I think that's like a weird, not just Boston, but I definitely think that's a a very Boston thing. The same way, like when Chris Sale was screaming at his teammates during the World Series, that now iconic gif, or David Ortiz yelling at the team during the 2013 postseason. That's what it takes. You need the fire. Hell yeah. Because otherwise, what do you have? You didn't come this far to only come this far. Yeah. And I think that's what was so encouraging. Not only their response in game three, where like, we'll discuss this further. Jalen Brown. I'm a huge Jalen Brown stan Mm -hmm. since the days when he was throwing up bricks and didn't know how to shoot unless he was driving to the hoop. But that was one of the best games I've ever seen Jalen Brown play as a Celtic. And not only that, how they responded in that game, but how they responded in the post-game press conferences right after the fight. I mean, first of all, I'm seeing progress because Marcus Smart didn't get so pissed at his team that he punched something, a hole in like the locker room to break his hands like he did a few years ago. So already I'm seeing growth, maturity, and playoff experience right there. And not only that, but after a huge blowout fight in which Shams or Woj is reporting that Smart storms into the locker room, Jalen gets up in his face telling him that he needs to calm down and stop blaming other people for this and that they need to stick together as a team and smart storming out of the locker room, flipping the freak out. And Jalen Brown is going right to his post game press conference and saying, 
No, it's all love. It's it's just we're emotional. I love Smart for his emotion. Like that's my family. We're a family. It's like Marcus Smart was probably just up in your face talking all kinds of trash. Like I can only to yeah. be a fly on the wall when Marcus Smart is getting into it with someone. So the way they responded, even just 15 minutes later in a press conference, I had all faith that they were going to bounce back in week three. They totally proved me and a lot of Celtics fans right. And here we ride into game four, still down a game, but like seemingly with all the momentum on our side. I don't know about you, but just having Gordon Hayward No, I'm back, feeling it. Having Gordon back too, I feel like will just be a game changer, especially because the Celtics, for whatever reason, have not been able to get an offense going when the Heat, or like you saw this in the Toronto series too, they'll just, the defense will go into a zone and the Celtics just lose their mind for some reason. But with Gordon Hayward, even limited off the bench, if you want to call like 31 minutes that he played limited, was just <laughs> dicing up the offense. And I don't know that I feel like I was feeling down after game two before the press conference that is and before I found out it was World War Three in the locker room. But just seeing Gordon back out there and not completely looking like he was without hesitation on plays, but um, it was just really promising. I'm I'm really hyped up for tonight. I am too. And also just to talk about Gordon Hayward for a second. I'm annoyed because this is this has nothing to do with his playing performance, but he is not going to leave the bubble for the birth of his son. So and... I cracked up at this too, and we might have opposite <laughs> takes on this, and I'd love to debate it out with you right now. <laughs> That's not my issue. Like, it's his choice either way. My issue is with the awful, awful people who masquerade as Celtics fans, but when it comes down to it, care more about watching a basketball game than the actual players on the team that they claim to love. Because Robin Hayward posted in her Instagram stories oh, that people were DMing her. her being like, first, Induce first, your pregnancy, before, have the baby right. <laughs> So before Gordon Hayward hurt his ankle, people were begging his wife, like literally harassing his wife on social media to induce labor. Then Gordon Hayward gets hurt and the conversation shifts from when he comes back right away. Like the timing is bad because, you know, he missed like a month of playing. So his wife is going to give birth soon and he'll have just returned from missing, you know, a considerable amount of time, including the first round of the playoffs. And so people were like, oh my God, what if he returns? And then she goes into labor and he leaves again. Now he's not leaving and they have three daughters. This is going to be their first son. So Gordon Hayward is missing the birth of his first son. And like, obviously the girl dad relationship is really special, but we also, I mean, we have to be honest, like a lot of men want to have a son, right? And he is missing the birth of his first son to play in the Eastern conference finals. For both himself, I think, obviously, because especially missing the Raptors rounds, like he he wants to contribute. He doesn't want to be away from his team. It's killing. It killed him to get hurt again, you know, and not be able to contribute. But also, like, he is missing the birth of his son to put on these games for you, to try to get you to the finals. And I'm just annoyed because it gives, quote unquote, fans who think that players are just like marionettes that should just perform for them as opposed to human beings who have like lives outside of the games. Um, it just kind of gives them like 
a, a past precedent to be like, well, in the future, you know, so-and-so should miss the birth of their child because Gordon Hayward didn't leave the bubble for the birth of his son. You know, there's going to be people like that in the future who say these things about other Boston athletes. I'm glad that he's here. At the same time, there are so many things in this life that are more important than sports. God forbid, what if something goes wrong with Robin Hayward's pregnancy or the birth or she needs a C-section or just like the fact that when she gives birth to their son, like he's not going to be able to be there. I'm sad for him that he was put in a position where he had to make that choice. The whole situation just like leaves me with kind of a bad taste in my mouth because we've seen over the past few months, especially how unimportant sports are in the grand scheme of life. You know, sports are very special and they mean a lot. They can really be healing after terrible times. Obviously, we're seeing that. But at the same time, I just think that our society has gotten to a point where there is an unhealthy prioritization of sports. And we'll talk about that also, like when we talk about baseball. It is sad for me that Gordon Hayward, A, had to make this choice, B, that it's something we're talking about, and C, that there are people who think it's acceptable to harass an athlete and their spouse because you think that like you needing to watch a sports game is more important than like these other human beings and like their own lives, you know? And that's my my spiel and I'm sticking to it. Um, (laughs) I don't think we're going to disagree like because I I think you thought I was going to go into a thing of like he should leave the bubble and that's not it. Exactly. And when you explain that, I couldn't agree with you more. Like that's a tough position to be in. And that's why coming into the bubble, I think he said, absolutely, like, I'm leaving, like, no matter what happens. Um, I don't think, obviously, it sucked that he had to make the decision. But at the end of the day, it was his decision to come back. And obviously, him and Robbins, like, we, I think, we don't know her personally, but we know enough about Robin and about their relationship to know that if Robin's not on board with this, she runs the show there. Oh, yeah. She probably said your team needs you. And that's the thing. And that's she what makes me probably kind encouraged of excited him. and respect the hell out of his decision to come back. Look, at the end of the day, as long as the Haywards are happy and they don't feel like anyone but them too, Robin and Gordon made like that decision. Johnny from, Johnny from Roxbury shamed them into it on Twitter. Right. You know, Sam, Sam from Weymouth with like 75 numbers at the end of his Twitter handle uh, told me that I couldn't leave the bubble for your birth son. So I didn't like, no, I mean, this was their decision and I support their decision. And I think that's what it should come down to is like, if you are an actual fan of your team, you're supporting your athletes as human beings who live a life out. It's like going to the supermarket and running into your teacher when you're a kid and realizing that your teacher does not in fact exist to be your teacher in the classroom. I did that with like a hot English teacher that I had a huge crush on buying a <laughs> fucking bulk pack of tampons once, but continue. Well, okay. Thankfully that never happened to me, <laughs> but also all of my English teachers were old ladies, but the point being if you actually care about your favorite team and your favorite players, you actually care about them as people too. And one of the things I want to talk about when we touch on football is Skip Bayless and Dak Prescott because fuck Skip Bayless. But I mean, I mean, that's what it comes down to is 
if you actually care about athletes on your favorite teams, you care about them as people, not just as athletes, not just as the stats that they're putting up on the on the board. Like you care about them as a fellow human being and you don't just demand they put everything else in their lives aside to perform for you like a puppet. It's not how this works. And I think that that's like a really unhealthy mindset that people need to get out of, of thinking that like these people exist for our entertainment because they don't. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. And I think this is just where we should transition to football because the Dak Prescott situation really struck a personal nerve with me as someone who is batshit crazy and definitely benefits from intensive therapy. I, I know I laugh when I say that, but that's just my own method of coping with it and being able to say these things out loud. But like for Dak to come out and make that announcement to the entire world, it was just like so important. And I mean, Kevin yes. Love recently had something about this in the Players' Tribune and his battles with mental health. In the early days of Girl at the Game, I talked about Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and Colton Wong, like all of these athletes who were some of the first. They came out and said all this stuff in hopes that people struggling like themselves would hear that and be like, you know what? It's okay to not keep up this facade all the time. Like I'm all right and be this macho dude. And I'm supposed to have all this shit going for me. And Skip Bayless just is the exact reason why they should continue to come out and use their platforms in this way, because clearly there's still totally unsympathetic people out there. It's just so toxic. I feel really bad for men in this country. Like we're in the middle of a global pandemic and this man's brother just committed suicide. How dare you, Skip Bayless? How dare you? And I don't think anyone actually on these stupid debate shows on FS1 and ESPN actually believe what they're saying. I really do think there's that extent of picking the most opposite end of whichever side you're arguing just for sake of rating and television so but like the fact that no producer or anyone on set for that show or skip himself like you're a professional you've been doing this for a long time without any is he a professional though no well (laughs) like you've been doing this for a long time yeah and most of it I can't think of like any major hiccups he's had saying the wrong thing other than just like an absolutely idiotic unresearched like take you know what I mean difference between a bad take and like just a blatantly cruel and then of course like Fox Sports is working out a huge new lucrative deal for him probably as we speak regardless of this because these are the men we pay to tell us about sports on television but god forbid a, a player write something about their depression in the players tribune all right between him, Jason Whitlock, like all of these older dudes, I'm so sick of men of a certain age just like getting a free pass to say terrible shit, get paid millions of dollars to do it. And there's no consequences. Meanwhile, you have so many talented good people in sports media who are like clawing to just have an opportunity who would never say things like this. Like Jason Whitlock's coming for Katie Nolan. Skip Bayless is just shitting on Dak Prescott for being brave. 
like, yeah, they're going to get lambasted on social media for it for, you know, however amount of time. Are there any actual consequences? No. Is Skip Bayless going to stop being an overpaid personality in sports? No, he's probably going to get another deal because there's no such thing as bad press. Like his numbers are still going to be high, even though they're high for the wrong reason, which is that he said something completely awful and unacceptable. And the toxicity of that is why sports are not a healthy environment, because you have someone like Dak Prescott be brave enough to come out and talk about something so sensitive and personal. And his reward for that is getting attacked for it. The last thing I want to say on this before we even waste any more yeah. breath on Skip this many days after this I was going to say, Skip Bayless you know doesn't I mean? deserve yeah. any more of our He's time. He's taking up too much real estate in my brain right now. But the oh, last thing guy. I will say is you've been working around athletes long enough to understand, like, or at least you should have by now picked up on the psych of an athlete or studied it. It's something I've looked into pretty extensively and something I've always been really interested in. Just like a lot of athletes, their identity is their sport and being a player in that sport. So it's like, I want to leave it off by saying one, like skip, read some books. The first one I will recommend is what made Maddie run. It's by Kate Fagan of ESPN. It was originally a long form piece in ESPNW about Madison Holleran, which you may remember probably like five or six years ago already now. She was a track runner at Penn and it was the first time in her life she was away from home at an Ivy League school running track and just that perfectionism sets in. It was too much for her to handle. She felt like she didn't have an outlet because her identity was being an athlete and she saw quitting track as like losing a part of herself, but she couldn't cope with the mental things she was going through. And as an athlete, I think there's always that strive for perfection, right? Yeah. Madison took her own life. Kate Fagan wrote a long form piece on it a few years ago called Split Image and then turned it into a book called What Made Maddie Run? It's excellent, even if you just read the long form piece. But because while we use sports as an escape, they oftentimes don't really have one. Yeah. And I mean, the one, the last thing I want to say is, you know, we've talked before about toxic masculinity, but I feel like between the Gordon Hayward thing and this and the Jason Whitlock thing, like attacking Maria Taylor and Katie Nolan, there has just been so much toxic masculinity in sports lately of like, it's not manly to speak up about your mental health. Women are only in this industry because they're hot. Gordon Hayward doesn't need to be there while his wife gives birth because like he needs to be doing his job. Like toxic masculinity has been manifesting itself in sports even more than usual, I feel like. I get that, you know, with the pandemic and the election and everything that's happening in this country right now, tensions are high, emotions are high, and they are displaying themselves in sports because sports are a microcosm of our society. But that doesn't make it okay. We need men to be vulnerable about their mental health. We need women to feel like they're not just in sports because you want to look at our asses. And we need husbands to be good to their wives and be able to show up for their wives in important times without quote unquote fans saying like, no, you need to be here doing your job instead of being there for the birth of your child. There's just been so much toxic masculinity in sports lately. 
I hate it. It's gross. It needs to stop. And one of the only ways that that's going to happen is if guys like Skip Bayless are not the people that we look to to give us commentary on sports anymore because they are only furthering that toxicity. And what we need is people who are not like that. We need sports to be a safe space. That's my rant. Um, all right. No more toxic masculinity. Actually, probably some toxic masculinity because so much of everything just has like an undercurrent of that in sports. Talk to me about Cam Newton. Very different quarterback from Tom Brady. I think it would have been weird if they had just replaced Tom Brady with a quarterback who kind of has the same style as him. But Cam Newton is very different. What do you think about him the first two weeks? I'm so high on Cam Newton. I always was a big fan of his game, despite his comments about women reporters asking about routes. But I mean, he just came in and lit shit on fire the first two weeks, pretty much. I mean, I've never, from the fan in me, I should say, has never been feeling so like hopeful and good about a loss that came down to the last play. Like if that was Brady, I'd be so pissed. But at the same time, week two especially was so reminiscent of Brady and that confidence you have in him when the game's on the line and the Patriots are down and Brady needed to march the Patriots down the field and score a touchdown. And that's what we saw in week two. In week one, there were a lot of questions. It was great, but it was like, oh, this is just the Miami Dolphins, though. So, like, let's take a step back here. Is his passing game going to work? He rushed for so many yards, this and that. And then week two against Russell Wilson, who easily is the most consistent and athletic quarterback we've seen in the league in recent memory. Russell Wilson and this and Seattle. Seattle is definitely going to be a Super Bowl contender in my sight, in my opinion. So to see the Patriots go up against them with all the players that opted out, with Cam Newton learning a new offense, it was just so much more than you ever expected out of him. And I think that's the fault of kind of us as the media, not necessarily us, because we weren't covering, certainly weren't covering Cam in Carolina, but just the way Carolina let him walk and all the rumors about his health and the off season, whether or not he'll be the same player again, Cam looked great. He's unstoppable running because he's just such a force of a man. He looks healthy. And I think he's really buying into this system. And I mean, how could you not when they're the only people that took a chance on you? So I'm really enjoying one watching this, I think, revenge tour that he's going to go on all year. And two, I mean, how many drip too hard segments are we going to have about his outfits week to week? Yeah. Speaking of drip too hard, real quick, loved the yellow suit. Also a very funny moment of Brock Holt's wife, Lakin, tweeting about how she's like living to see what he wears every week on game day. And I responded yeah. and I was like, I think you need mini yellow suits for Griffin and Ripken. <laughs> and she was yes. like, yes, absolutely. And then also currently trending on Twitter, Bill Belichick in that like ratty ripped old shirt, just like, 
the funniest responses like Jamel Hill tweeted Bill Belichick looks like he just completed naked and afraid my friend Jordan said okay but Belichick's shirt would sell for $78 at Urban Outfitters that's what I was like, just gonna say like so those who haven't <laughs> seen for those who haven't seen the visual yet Belichick is wearing one of his signature crew neck Navy Patriots hoodies but this shit like this is especially true of college age girls I would say who yeah. I've never heard a single song from Pink Floyd or Sublime or like Leonard Skinner or whatever t-shirt they're wearing, but there's these huge holes in it. Like Belichick had that going on with his Patriots crew neck today, but you know, damn well, that's not on purpose. He didn't buy that shit like that. Yeah. He has these craters. (laughs) How, what was he doing in the sweatshirt that it made that? He gets so angry, like, but silently. You know, like he's not going to scream. He's just sitting there like mad about something. And every time he gets mad, a new hole appears in the shirt from like the sheer heat and anger that's like coming out of his body. It looks like he gets pissed and he just rips darts and then he puts out the cigarette like on his collar of his sweatshirt to like self-inflict. And you know that like Urban or Junk Food or one of those brands would literally like pre-rip those shirts and sell them i will say though i mean for starters my sister has one of those sublime t-shirts so that's really funny and she's in college but one of the weird things about living in la is like sometimes it is very hard to tell if somebody is homeless or a really rich person wearing like a ripped jacket yeah because gucci will literally sell like a ripped camo you know, utility jacket for like six grand and someone like, you know, Zac Efron might actually buy that. And it is virtually indistinguishable. It's like in Zoolander when Mugatu puts on the derelict show and it's literally just like models wearing garbage. It is sometimes very hard to tell. You know, my mom would never let us buy, she would never buy us ripped jeans because she's like, I'm not going to pay for clothes that somebody purposefully damaged for you. So just like very funny, mini drip too hard segment. Yes. You know, Belichick is like crazy rich, lives in Nantucket. And I wonder if Linda ever says like, you can't wear that. And he's like, why? And it's like that ripped past short sleeve sweatshirt. And she's like, because we're going to brunch on Nantucket. And he's like, what's wrong with this? Like, he clearly does not care. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. But like also Linda's probably smart enough to as a woman, not probably, she's definitely smart enough of a woman that like just gets it. That's his brand. You know, like she dresses beautifully. She has absolutely exquisite taste. Her daughter oh, yeah. and her daughters, her too. daughters, the Hess twins are like influent Instagram influencers. So style stylish. Icon DJs. Their, their clothes are way too cool for me. I could never be caught dead. In I know I can't pull off because I would never pull it off because I'm not tall and with like gray ice blonde hair like them or like I don't also don't have an identical twin that like at least if I look stupid they look stupid too and then it becomes cool right when I tell you it like what else was he doing but putting out cigarettes on the collar of his sweatshirt like this is definitely like the oldest one he owns too I feel like the screen printing yeah, it's probably like the up. first thing he ever got when he took over the coaching job it's and not it's even just like, blue anymore. it's like a faded periwinkle because it's been washed so yeah. many times Love to see it. But um, since you brought up Belichick, I think it was interesting to see for sure how highly he spoke of Cam post game after week one, where that's something he never really tends to do talk about individual efforts. So he was definitely praising Cam a ton. I don't know if that was like 
an FU to Brady because that's one thing Brady we hear wanted more of is more praise internally. And, or if it was just Bill maybe learning his lesson and being like, all right, my last wife said I didn't buy her flowers or tell her how pretty she was enough and she left me. So now with my new wife, I'm just going to make up for all that. So whether Bill is trying to say like, screw you, Brady, or just trying to make sure his relationship with Cam is better than how things ended with him and Brady is to be determined. But I thought that was interesting of note. Yeah, definitely. Very like, kind of on that energy too. Um, I'll say this. Yeah, his thing about like the rookie. Like, yeah. About like being a rookie for Brady versus like a more seasoned yeah. player for Cam. Right. So Brady obviously would get very visibly frustrated with Nikhil. And it was tough because he wasn't on the field enough. It's a tough way to come into your rookie season with that many, with being injured so often. So it was obviously hard for them to get into a rhythm. And then by that point, I think Brady was just so over it here. So I thought it was really classy on Nikhil's part. Whether it was classy or him just being already like a pro at navigating interviews with Boston Media, but him saying that it was hard to compare the two because Cam has obviously taken kind of an interest in Nikhil and helping him develop and grow as a player where Brady, it seems like, couldn't be bothered. So classy move by Nikhil to say, oh, you can't really compare the two and put it on himself to say yeah. he was injured, which like both probably true, but Come on, Nikhil. I just He's think not like in Foxborough anymore. I want to air him out. I want to hear the drama. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, like obviously, so much of this season's narrative is just like the Patriots without Brady. Uh, can Belichick win without Brady? Is Brady going to be good down in Tampa? And like, I get it. Obviously, that's like a huge storyline. But at the same time, Brady's gone. Can we just focus on the now? Does everything have to be? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like talking about your ex-boyfriend for hours at a time. It's like, no, just move on. Like, stop. You know, you're not together anymore. Yeah. And I think as the season wears on, um, especially yeah. after the last game, you can see, I know I saw on social media during the game, like, it didn't even take that last drive to, for Cam to put the game within, like, to have the game within five points on the last play of the game. It didn't even take that last drive for people to really buy in like watching cam march down, he had three second half drives where he just kind of really quick marched them down the field and that was so brady-esque to me and i think people are all in on him they have confidence in him in new england and i think hopefully if this continues in the next few weeks i think that like the the brady versus cam narrative will really die down a lot because like honestly this is him, his team now. He was already named a captain. He's too exciting on the field. Like, to watch him and Russell Wilson go at it head-to-head yesterday, like, I didn't think about Brady once during the game. And that's the first time no, I, mean, and that's, I that's, can say that when thinking or watching or writing about the Patriots. Like, the second half of that Week 2 game, I don't think Brady came into my head once. I mean, and that's, like, how it should be. I really think that there's an opportunity here for Cam. I mean, look, I've been down on Cam Newton in the past. We literally even had our original Girl at the Game intro having the soundbite about him mocking Jordan Rodriguez for talking about routes. But I also 
am a huge proponent of the idea that people can grow and change and become better people. And maybe he and Belichick will be able to spur that growth for him, both on the field and off the field. Because, you know, Belichick's not going to stand for, like, sexist bullshit either. Anyways, much more seriously, we want to pass our condolences to the family of Patriots running back James White. Before the game on Sunday, James White was a last-minute inactive. Um, I know I was pretty shocked when I saw this report. And when I found out why he was inactive, it absolutely sent chills up my spine. His father and mother were involved in a very serious accident on Sunday in which his father was killed. And as it stands right now, I believe his mother remains in critical condition. So absolutely gut-wrenching. All the times I've been around James White and rooted for him as a Patriots fan. He's just been nothing but a class act, really exemplary player. And I just can't imagine that it's just so heartbreaking. You know, this year has just been full of one awful thing after the other. And I mean, you kind of just look at it and you're like, when is all of this? (laughs) How much longer are we going to keep circling the drain on this year like it's just one hit after another I mean James White's family we lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg this weekend we're still living in a global pandemic if we listed every bad thing that happened this year this episode would be like eight hours long and we probably would still leave something out so prayers to James White's family you know it's just this year is unimaginable and with that we can transition to yet another depressing topic, which is the fact that the Red Sox are so terribly bad. (laughs) It's crazy that we're not even two full years removed from winning the 2018 World Series, but the Red Sox this year were the first team to lose 30 games, which in a regular season would be the first team to lose like 70 games because each game is worth like 2.7 regular season games in a regular season. And I heard on the radio the other day, because I'm apparently 70 years old and I actually still listen to the radio, the Red Sox last week had like a 0.01% chance of making the postseason. I I think at this point they have eliminated themselves. But if I was a betting person, I would not bet on the 2020 Red Sox. Perfect time to talk about our wonderful sponsor, Bet Online, because they give you the opportunity to bet on or against all of your favorite teams, all of your favorite sports. They are our exclusive wagering partner. We like them a lot. You can bet on football. Football's back. Major League Baseball's in full swing, headed to the postseason. There's no shortage of ways to get in on the action for any and all of your favorite teams with Bet Online. Uh, they have all the odds, futures, props for you to bet on. When sports return this summer, Bet Online sat down with Eddie George of the NFL. Robert Ory, seven-time NBA champ, and former Major League Baseball player Harold Reynolds to get their opinion on what it would be like playing without fans and what they've called fandemic. So we're living that right now. Yeah, check out betonline.ag today. Uh, They've got all the odds and up-to-date sports news for all your favorite teams, favorite athletes, and don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all of their Welcome Back to Sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And speaking of which, what's your take? Uh, would you bet on 
fans being allowed at MLB playoff games because I know Manfred has been doing some speaking recently and pretty much guaranteed that the postseason will be played in a bubble and they're hoping for the possibility of spectators in small groups, kind of like what we saw in the NFL with, for example, the Chiefs having fans at that opening day game. All right, look, I got a lot of feelings on this, as you knew I would. For starters, like we said earlier in the episode, I don't like to throw around loose comparisons. Like, like people have been throwing around the comparison saying people are Nazis now. And I'm like, can we can we be careful about who we call a literal Nazi? Um, so I don't want to compare Rob Manfred to Trump in any way except for recklessness with coronavirus. Because Rob Manfred has been running Major League Baseball in a way that shows that the league only cares about money, doesn't care about safety. I have some friends who are married to Major League Baseball players, including some Red Sox wives. And I was speaking to one of these wives about this yesterday. And she was like, I think it's pretty unfair that this whole season, I wasn't allowed to watch my own husband play baseball. But Manfred wants to have fans in the stands for the postseason. For starters, wives and kids should have been allowed into the ballpark. If you were planning on actually having people in the ballpark during the postseason, you should have started by allowing wives and kids of the players into the ballpark. I mean, look, Fenway is a huge ballpark, and it's still one of, if not the smallest in terms of capacity. Each player's wife and kids could have had their own section of seats to watch games. It's not like they would have been near anybody, and they could have managed that. And she basically said, so I can't watch my own husband. Our baby can't watch their dad play baseball. But paying fans can come into the ballpark during the postseason because it makes money. Like, it shows you where Manfred's head is at, where baseball's priorities are, that they don't care if players' families are allowed in the ballpark. But the chance to make a buck, they're all for it. I don't like it. I think it's gross. She's annoyed about it. She's not the only one. Like, it's just a really unfair situation, especially at this time when the ballplayers can't really go anywhere. They're under really strict restrictions. Having their families there would have probably really helped them from like a mental health standpoint of not feeling like they're just alone. You know, a lot of players' families didn't come with them when baseball returned because like, what were they going to do all day? You know, in Boston. Yeah. Right. Like JBJ's wife, Erin is pregnant with their second child. So she and their daughter Emerson did not come up from Florida. I think they came up for a visit, but they did not like move up with Jackie this season because she's pregnant. And like, what are they going to do in some rental apartment in Boston every single day, as opposed to being able to be at home in their house in Florida where Emerson can play outside and do, you know, normal kid things that a three-year-old would want to do, you know, because usually they'd be at the ballpark watching Jackie play baseball. And the same thing, like Colin McHugh, who opted out of the season ultimately, but originally was going to be a pitcher for the team this year, his wife and their son's also, we're going to stay in Georgia at their own house because what were they going to do? And so it's like you deprived players of the chance to be able to be with their families and players and their uh, wives and their kids of being able to watch their dads play baseball. 
but you're going to let random fans in because it makes you money. Like yet again, just another bad look for major league baseball. Like you said, you make a great point. These so many wives did not travel to Boston or whatever market that their husband plays in because what the hell would they be doing? They would have to be so strict with themselves in leaving the house to not put their athlete at risk. So I think that since women couldn't, these women couldn't be at the games with their families watching their husbands, it's like, why am I going to travel to Boston? Whereas if they were given the option to at least go to the baseball games, why not give that to them? Because I feel like less families would be separated during this time. But like we said, Johnny from Roxbury can just buy a ticket and walk in. Yeah, and it also is just really sad for players who made their debuts this year and they weren't allowed to make their debut in front of their parents and their spouses. These are people who have worked their entire life to get to a point and they have to do it without the support system that helped them get there. Like think about the video of Michael Chavis's mom and girlfriend when he had his first major league hit and his first major league home run and like how happy they were. And guys like Tanner Houck, this year was there. Speaking of debuts. didn't have that. Oh, Tanner Houck, so excited. We'll talk about him in a second. But like these guys didn't get the opportunity to make their debut in front of their families and their support systems. And hopefully next season, fans will be allowed back in the ballparks in at least a certain capacity. But you don't get your debut back. You don't just get to make another debut. You only get one. And your families, your loved ones weren't there to be able to see it. And so then to have, you know, and this is what the wife of one of the players was saying to me. She's like, you know, I feel so bad for the younger guys because I was so proud when my husband made his debut and like it was such a special moment for us and to be there to see it and these guys don't get to have that but paying customers can just come in because MLB wants more money they want to recoup some of the monetary loss that they had this season like good lord it's just I'm so sick of Major League Baseball just being the worst it just shows you yet again they don't prioritize families they prioritize money and You know, when baseball inevitably collapses in the next like 20 years, like they're going to have no one to blame but themselves because they're definitely not collapsing because people didn't care enough. It's that the people who run baseball don't care enough. Fans care so much and they're not the ones in power. And it's just like it sucks. Like baseball is definitely not going to die because I didn't try my hardest to speak out about like what baseball needed to do, you know. Like our our friend and former podcast guest, Rachel Luba, she tweeted about this the other day. Major League Baseball was sending her on a survey being like, we'd love to hear from you about something. And she was like, you know, you could just go on Twitter and literally see millions of people talking about how they feel about Major League Baseball. Every single day, people talking about what they want from baseball, what they need from baseball, what they wish baseball cared about versus what they actually care about. And you know what? If you just made like 2% more effort, to make fans and families feel like they actually were important to you. Baseball would make a lot more money in the long run, but people aren't going to spend money on something that they don't think gives a crap about them. So good job, Major League Baseball. You have done it once again. And from there, we will pivot to (laughs) the debut of our friend Tanner. Oh, my God. I haven't felt excited about a Red Sox homegrown pitcher in like a, a decade. This is crazy. Yeah. Like, he might actually be good. Right. We might so, actually have hope. They might have done something. 
And of course, we're saying this having only seen two starts out of the kid. Um, I say kid as if he isn't my age. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless, <laughs> I mean, two starts, um, both times when at least five innings, he's not given up an earned run yet. And what, uh, like, single digit hits, right? I, I don't have the exact stat line in front of me, but. I don't have his stat line in front of me, but I will say uh, he is one of only four pitchers in franchise history to have struck out seven or more batters and pitched a scoreless major league debut. So that's Larry Pape in 1909, Dave Moorhead in 1963, Erod in 2015, and then Tanner Houck on the 15th of this month. He's so one seven- of two players in history who have started their major league career with back-to-back games with more than five innings pitched where through the first five innings of both consecutive outings, he was throwing a no-hitter. And I don't know about you, but like one of the biggest things I see with the Red Sox is they'll get the first two outs kind of easy. And then for whatever reason, like they struggle to end the inning like Matt Barnes is the perfect example of this like he'll have two quick outs then he'll get two strikes really quickly on that third batter and then, and then he the cannot yeah like he gives up a walk he gives Sorry up a home run he loads the bases and I'm like oh my god oh you are so annoying and like Tanner Houck damn it is so nice to have hope about a Red Sox pitcher and like when we had Keith Folk on uh, a couple months ago, we talked about this with him because he's working in player development, obviously, from a pitching standpoint for the minor league system, working with guys like Tanner Houck, you know, trying to turn the Red Sox into a franchise that can develop a homegrown pitcher. Think about the great pitchers that the Red Sox have had over the last few years. The only one of them who is actually a homegrown guy is Eduardo Rodriguez. They depleted the farm system to get Sale and Kimbrell. They spent a buttload to get David Price. Rick Porcello came from the Tigers. None of those guys were homegrown pitchers. It's tough because, like like we said, we're getting really excited about just two outings out of this kid. And I Well, mean, we haven't had much great. to live for this That's season. What I'm saying. Saying. That's why it's so funny. So it's great to see this and have this hope. And it's just nice to see his stuff translating right from the minors to the major leagues this far into the season. Hopefully it takes them, I don't know, I'm, I guess hopefully they don't figure him out. And I hope this wasn't all just like a fugazi where like he's lighting it up, but after a few outings, he has tape for other people to work off of, right? And kind of figure him out. So I'm very much now enjoying the honeymoon before that may or may not happen. It's I'm- nice to see like, a lot of promising youth right now around the Red Sox. Nice to see Michael Chavis figuring it out too. I mean, he's yes. a huge strikeout guy. It looks like he's starting to really figure it out. Uh, he's had a good week. Yeah, I think the kids are going to be okay as long as we get through this season. I, I mean, look, it's it's such an interesting time with the Red Sox because like on paper with their win-loss records, they're the 2018 Orioles. I mean, they're really bad. But then you look at like the individual players on this team and it's like if they just had more pitching, this team would have been a lot better. This could have been like third place in the division, maybe a wild card, like probably not a postseason team still. But bad luck with injuries, 
obviously, uh, you know, losing Nathan Evaldi for a few weeks during a season that was so short just like made it a thousand times worse. And obviously they still need other pitching. We joked with Rachel Luba about like Trevor Bauer coming during the offseason. But I mean, that'd be crazy huge for them. Got to wait and see what happens with Sale. Got to wait and see what happens with Eduardo Rodriguez. But it's a weird time to be a Red Sox fan because, yeah, they're kind of in rebuild mode. But at the same time, most teams, when they're in rebuild mode, do not have the abundance of offensive talent that a team like the 2020 Red Sox have. Like, we still have, you know, Xander, Devers, Jackie Riley Jr. has been hot at the plate. Chavis is figuring it out. You got Bobby Dahlbeck. Christian Vasquez hit an absolute bomb last night and, like, is still so good. Like, J.D. Martinez JD uh, having, who, like, having a down not, year. Yeah, not good right now, but you know what he's capable of, at least. Yeah, it's just, I mean, most teams, when you're doing a rebuild, don't still have the foundations of what was a championship two years ago. It's just a crazy time to be a Red Sox fan, to cover the Red Sox. Um, every single day on Locked on Red Sox, I'm kind of like, well, you know, this person's been really good, but uh, the team is still the first to lose 30 games. And it's just, you know, it's just really weird. Like, it's such a such a confusing time. Like, Nick Pavetta made his Red Sox debut last night coming over from the Phillies in the Brandon Workman-Heath Hembry trade, which I feel so bad because, like, the Phillies have just been – so disappointed like Brandon Workman has totally collapsed which is crazy but in their last 16 games according to Sox notes which is a Red Sox run account Red Sox starters have posted a 3.15 ERA and held opponents to a 224 average over 68.2 innings pitched in their last five games Red Sox starters have a 1.04 ERA and a and are holding opponents to a 128 batting average over 26 innings only allowing three earned runs. And you just kind of look at that and you're like, okay, but they're one of the worst teams in baseball. It's such a weird, weird time for the 2020 Red Sox. Like this season is just so weird. I, there's no other word for it. Like it's just such a mind fuck. Yeah. Well, we'll see how the rest of the season goes with them. Like you said, crazy time to be covering the Red Sox. Crazy time really to be covering any Boston team right now. We'll see how the Red Sox season plays out. We'll be back soon to recap week three of Patriots football with Cam Newton and company. And, and more importantly, however, the Eastern Conference finals okay. play out. I'm nervous. Yes, I am too. The coffee's it's, wearing off and now it's just anxiety. So, right. So we're going to go <laughs> refill on coffee and get our minds right for game four here, mentally and physically prepare. And, we can't wait to catch up with you guys soon. Also, Girl at the Game has joined TikTok, very much how do you do fellow kids dot gif, but we're on TikTok now. We're going to do our best to put out some funny content. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Girl at the Game. And we will talk to you guys next week. And um, yeah, that's about it. I got nothing. Me either. <laughs> we're so bad at signing <laughs> off. We're really bad. I feel like this is how we signed off the first episode, too, of like, all right, I have nothing else. That's it. I feel like if we went back and listened to our first show. But yeah. All right. That's it. We'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. We're awkward as hell. We're so awkward. Uh-huh. Let's go get a shot. <laughs>